Just say, play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all-new WMEX. WMEX Boston. Legacy Legal Live, hosted by Kendra O'Toole, Michelle Reed, and Elizabeth Caruso of Legacy Legal Planning, is a show about discussing your estate plans, options, and answering your questions. Call in at 781-834-9639 and start your lifelong partnership covered by benefits that you've earned through proper legacy planning. Now here's your hosts, Kendra, Michelle, and Elizabeth. Good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight as we are going to be setting the stage to highlight some central information on wills and their critical role in estate planning. And we are going to craft and help you understand how to properly craft and maintain effective wills. So as last week, um, again, I'm Kendra O'Toole. Today I have with me. I am Elizabeth Caruso. Michelle is not here with us today, but she's here in spirit and was crucial in crafting this show together for all of you. So last week, we started with a question that we then answered at the end. So we are going to start the same way before we dive into today's discussion. Here's a question for our listeners. What percentage of American adults do you think have a will? So stay tuned for this next hour. We'll reveal the answer later in the show. So a lot of people are probably thinking that they know what a will is, but we should probably actually define what a will is first. So when I say a will, I'm talking about a last will and testament. Um, Its primary purpose is to tell your heirs, beneficiaries, etc., how you want your estate to be divided. It actually only controls what is in your name alone when you pass away. So if you own assets jointly with other people, if you have uh, life insurance policies or retirement accounts that have beneficiary designations, those are not going to go through your will because they are not in your name alone. They have, you know, contractual obligations to go to those named beneficiaries Or by law, the joint owners um, receive the asset at your death. Um, The will does tell the probate court how you want your assets to be divided. And I say probate court there because having just a will guarantees that you will end up in the probate court. And the probate court is the ones that will determine what your will is saying and appoint a personal representative to actually follow through with your wishes. Um, But we always also like to say that if you don't have a will and if you don't make this plan, the state always has a plan for you. (laughs) It may just not be the plan that you really see fit for you. And so a couple of common questions we often get about wills are, you know, who needs a will? We feel that really anyone over the age of 18 and has assets should have a will. People think wills are just for the wealthy, and that really is not the case. If you own a car, you have bank accounts, you have investment accounts that you might not have named beneficiaries on, 
any of these types of assets and even your tangible proper, personal property in your home, whether that's a couch, movies, or antiques, family heirlooms. Those are all assets that your will would address. And if you don't address it through a will, then the state makes those decisions. Yeah, and for a lot of people um, who have, you know, leave it to beaver, white picket fence house families, the state's um, plan for you may be fine. Um, so the state says that uh, if you're married, everything goes to your spouse. Um, if you and your spouse have kids from the marriage, then everything would go to the kids next. Um, after your children and through your bloodline, it goes back up to parents, over to siblings, and then to nieces and nephews. Um, if you have anything out of that, you know, perfect leave it to beaver family, maybe you are divorced, you have a second marriage, um, maybe you are no longer with your, you know, child's um, parent, um, maybe you don't have children. Uh, maybe you've had, uh, a falling out with someone in your family that you don't want to receive your assets. No one is going to know that unless you put it in writing and no one is going to be able to, you know, guess that from the grave for you. You're going to have to make your wishes known and make it clear as to who you want to inherit your assets. And really, as much as we say the state has a plan and that that state plan might work for you, because that might be the case. You know, you might think, oh, we do have that leave it to be for family, as you mentioned. Um, but without the um, will, what can happen is there are specific uh, powers and language that an attorney can draft to help alleviate some of the hoops that need to be jumped through in the probate court. Interesting. I don't want to interrupt this great conversation, but I have to add a question to this. What about all those people that have always said, oh, I, I've told the people around me what I want. I, my best friend knows uh, you know, who's getting the stereo and who's getting the car and this and that. Does that have any kind of legal standing at any point of anybody's conversation? Or if it's not in there, it literally does not matter. Great question. Um, as you mentioned, if it's not in there, it really doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're saying that you want it to go a specific way. If you are not putting these wishes down legally under the requirements required by Massachusetts law, it's just a piece of paper with your handwriting on it. Well, that was way further than I was even thinking with an actual written piece of paper. I was just saying, hey, you know, man, we're just having ourselves a grand old time. Remember 20 years ago, you said if you died, I get your stereo, right? Like, um, that's what I was up. So thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, and in Massachusetts, it does actually have to be written. There are some states that do not require a will to be written, but Massachusetts, it has to be written, and it has to have two witnesses over the age of 18. I, now I have to ask a follow-up question. What do those states that don't require that do exactly? I, I don't know. They live in chaos. <laughs> <laughs> That makes, that makes perfect sense. That I can absolutely believe. We like law and order here in Massachusetts. <laughs> and lots of it, yes. I would say they probably create even more legal fees for people. Probably. Oh, man. <laughs> but I do remember like being in law school and learning about cases from other states where you have literally a will written on a napkin. 
and it's and yeah. it was valid. <laughs> Napkin valid. Wow. And the thing with, you know, really putting your wishes down is also it makes it more clear of if something happened to one of your heirs or beneficiaries that you're leaving to. You know, I did have a client that his uh, wife passed away and then there was no plan in place for her. And so we had to go, you know, through the probate court. We had to jump through even more extra hoops because there was no plan in place. And she was the one that owned the real estate. And unfortunately, a few months later, he then passed away. And so now we weren't just dealing with her probate. We were dealing with his because he was to inherit a part of hers. She had children from another marriage. And so they were also beneficiaries. A few months after that, while this was all still in the probate court, unfortunately, one of her children passed away as well. So we ended up dealing with three separate probate matters to be able to sell this house and and unfortunately there wasn't even any money that ended up going to the beneficiaries based on you know mortgage utilities bills that were due and so we ended up really needing to open a lot of can of worms and dealing with the court that could have been prevented yeah and we see issues like this all the time um especially when we are clearing real estate title that's when a lot of these um crazy probate scenarios end up coming into play because you have houses that, you know, just passed from family member to family member to family member and were never actually sold to a third party. So nobody questioned who actually owned it for years. And I mean, you can imagine um, lots of places like that around here. You've got, you know, the Irish Riviera with, uh, you know, everybody's got some, some family member with a beach house who it's passed on from grandparent to aunt to uncle to, you know, whomever. And once somebody actually goes to sell it, you realize nobody's cleared up the title for 50 years. And now there's seven probates that need to be filed just to get this house sold. It can be a nightmare. Liz, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have one right now that has 12, is it 12 heirs? What? Oh, that yes. that have just that have either deceased or yes, yes, I, and I had one previous to that. I believe the most I've had was twenty eight heirs in one particular pro, like one particular house, and like seven of them had already died. So there was seven probates, and then another twenty one people that needed to be notified on various levels of those probates. So so what you mean to say is uh, the family has basically been living in a house that the person who the title's actually named under was born in eighteen forty something. Um eighteen seventy something. Yep. And they literally just as the family members passed away, the young ones would move in and just the cycle went up. Yep. I can't even start to wrap my head around that and one. And as long as 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 long as there's no mortgage or the mortgages keep just kept getting paid as long as the real estate taxes are kept up no one cares no one's going to come knocking on the door to make sure that the deed is in the right name until it goes to be sold to somebody who's unrelated what i can't what 
<laughs> Legacy Legal Live, folks. And I, my my mind is melting, and I'm not even in this industry. So I'm here to ask the questions on your behalf while we're getting going here. So let me ask this. What kind of chaos would have ensued if this particular person hadn't had, I'm hoping they did, some form of plan already in place with you? Or was this one you just picked up the ball uh, middle of the game? This is one that we picked up the ball middle of the game. So we were approached, and I, I've had several cases like this, approached by real estate attorneys who you know have a purchase and sale agreement that says this person is trying to sell and then all of a sudden the mortgage company for the buyer comes up with 10 different people who need permission to sell this property because they've owned it within the last 30, 40 years. Oh my goodness. So obviously if they had signed up with your company first and had a plan somehow, this never would have happened in the first place, right? 100%. 100%. The importance of planning ahead. <laughs> and that gets us a little bit into some of the do's and don'ts of creating and crafting a will. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest do's that we would say is seek professional advice, legal advice when drafting your will. There are lots of things out there on the internet or, you know, unfortunately, I think even at Staples that you can buy and try to craft your own will. But we find that 99.9% .9 of the time there are missing powers. It's sometimes under the wrong state. So it's even not, it's not applying the proper law. And so really seek out professional legal advice when you are working on putting together a will. And a kind of don't on that is don't procrastinate on it. I think it is one of the easiest things that we put aside, you know, I can do that later. Oh, I had my furnace went. That's more important to pay for. I need to fix my furnace. And it just keeps getting moved to the bottom of that list. But unfortunately, life is unexpected. And we don't know what could occur um, and what could happen. And so having a will in place and keeping it updated will really ensure that your wishes are followed if something were to happen. Yeah, one of the biggest procrastination I guess, admissions I receive from clients is that um, when you have a minor child, your will is your opportunity to name a guardian for that child if something were to happen to you. And as a parent, thinking of who's going to take care of your kid if you're not around is a daunting task. And I would say, you know, a good half of my clients sit there and say, this is what prevented me from coming to see you because I don't want to think about who's going to take care of my child if I'm not here. Or, you know, I don't know. I don't even know who to ask. I don't have anybody, you know, who I would want to do it. And, you know, that's a huge roadblock to a lot of people doing their estate plan. And that's a roadblock that we can really work with our clients on and that attorneys, any, you know, attorney that works in estate planning can walk you through. There are certain questions, certain concerns. We bring up a lot of just thought-provoking questions for you to really help guide you towards who you feel is that best person to be the guardian because it is a tough decision and there's pros and cons about everybody that you might weigh about being in, you know, having guardianship over your children. But we can really help hone in on who would be the best person and the best fit for you. And that person may or may not be the best person to actually be in charge of your 
estate in general. So um, in Massachusetts, uh, the person who's in charge of your will is called a personal representative. Um, that is a relatively new term in the industry. Um, it used to be called an executor or an executrix. Uh, and uh, Massachusetts went gender neutral back in 2012 with the term. But that person is who gets appointed potentially um, by the court to be in charge of enforcing your will and distributing your assets how you see fit. That person does not have to have all of the roles in your life. They don't have to be the same person who's in charge of of your kids or anything like that. Um, they can be completely separate roles. I know I have um, discussions with clients a lot that you should make sure that you choose someone who it's, the, you know, what you're asking to do is their strength. So if you have somebody who's, you know, good at organization or you have um, somebody in the financial world in your life, they would likely be a good personal representative just because they are already used to dealing with, you know, spreadsheets and accounts and things like that. Whereas, you know, if you have a family member who is a preschool teacher, maybe they'd be a really good guardian because they're used to being with little kids all day. <laughs> they have patience. <laughs> That's a very common question that people ask of, you know, does it have to be that same person? And unfortunately, we do all, I mean, it, we do all have strengths and weaknesses. And so that person that might be the best to take care of that child might have the worst financial situation for themselves as well. And so you have that balance by allowing yourself to appoint and put people in place that would be in charge of the finances and then a different person that would be the person to really be that caretaker and help your child through some of the most difficult times. Um, another thing to con to be sure as a do when you're crafting your will, consider all assets and beneficiaries. I think when it comes to the will, a lot of people do either just think of their home or maybe their bank accounts. But there are many times where we are reviewing assets with people and they have investment accounts or life insurance and they don't have beneficiaries listed on there. So your will would control anything that you don't have a beneficiary listed on as well if it is an asset that you can list a beneficiary on. And so you need to review all the assets you have and not just think of maybe your home or your car and put together that list to ensure that you are having your wishes followed. Yeah, it's very important for your will to be specific if if you want it to. Um, there are plenty of people who are very happy just leaving everything to their spouse or leaving everything to their children. And... Um, that works for them. But if you want to leave specific assets to specific people, if you want your car to go to your nephew, like whatever you want, that needs to actually be written down or else nobody is going to know. Now, Liz, with that specific distribution or specific gift that you want to leave to somebody, what if I just want to leave my niece $50,000? You know, can I just put... A statement like that or is that clear enough or what should I do in that situation so can you just leave your niece $50,000 sure can um, with specific distributions like that though they come before everything else in your will 
So if you wanted to leave your niece $50,000 and when you actually pass away, your entire estate was only worth $52,000, niece is getting $50,000 and everybody else is splitting $2,000. That's probably not what you actually intended. Um, so unless we have a good idea as to what is likely to be there in the end, um, whether because you have a significant amount of money or, you know, there's a bank account that you don't intend on touching or things like that. I don't like doing high net worth specific distributions. If you're going to tell me you want to leave, you know, $2,000 or something like that to somebody, sure, that's fine. I actually have a lot of clients who have pets who end up leaving a, a nominal amount like that. I mean, that's not the $2,000 is nominal, but, um, you know, 2000 2500 something like that to the person who's going to um, receive their pet to pay for either transportation or food or vet bills for a while to, you know, get the transition going. Wonderful. Don't overlook updating your will after major life events. I think this is one of the things we see most often. Somebody did their will 20, 30 years ago. They then had their spouse pass away. They also had a child pass away. And there ends up only being one person or no people left in their plan as to who is to be in charge or who is to receive the assets. And that then, if there's not proper language in there, that trickles down to that state plan that's in place. And the rules of the state law are, fo are followed if it is not updated with major life events. And sometimes the person you put in today might have their own life issues come up and may not be that best person 10 years down the road. So it's crucial that if you have major life events or people that you've appointed in your documents have major life events, that you are reviewing your your will and making any necessary changes. Yeah, we get um, calls a lot from potential clients where, um, you know, they start off the phone call, so-and-so just died in the family. We'll call it grandma because it makes it easy. And, you know, my grandma just died. I didn't have the best relationship with her, but at the end because I lived close by, I ended up being the person who took care of her. And she told me when we were together the, during the last year of her life that she was going to make sure that she took care of me and she was going to give me half of her house or she was going to give me X, Y, Z. You can put in whatever you want. Um, that conversation doesn't mean anything, unfortunately, unless it's written down. So grandma would have had to actually proactively go and either change her estate plan or create an estate plan that outlined her wishes as you know at the time of her at the time of her death um i have you know i got a call from a client last potential client last week where um her grandmother did two trusts one 25 years ago and one 15 years ago and they were different and neither one included her but again it was a scenario like this where she moved in with her grandmother to take care of her for the last two years of her life and now she's walking away with nothing because she's not included in those trusts it's crazy 
And it does it does happen all them especially when it comes to that caregiving. When somebody's a caregiver and they are being told that they will be provided for and they're so, you know, their loved one is so appreciative of everything they do. It is very common that unfortunately that loved one does not get to actually update it and you're stuck with what it was, um, especially the caregiver situation that does happen quite often when someone's in that position. We're going to talk about, we're going to get into one myth about a will and then take a short break in a couple of minutes. Um, A myth that I think Liz had already touched upon quite a bit today was that a will avoids probate entirely. Um, As we mentioned, a will really is just guidance for the court. And that is one of the biggest myths I think we see every day. People call and say, well, I have a will. So I know my family's taken care of and won't deal with the probate court. And that is just something that we are debunking all the time on a daily basis. Yeah, if I could debunk one estate planning myth for the rest of my life, it would be that a will somehow avoids the probate court because it doesn't. A will guarantees that you will go to probate. If you don't have anything other than a will, you are filing with the probate court because your will has no authority without the court. Your will says what you want, but it doesn't give anybody the power to do it. The person has to apply to the court and get the court's blessing to do it. And they need a special piece of paper called letters of authority to walk into Citizens Bank or Rockland Trust or whatever your local bank is to be able to actually cash out those bank accounts and distribute your money or sell your house or your car or whatever it is. And um, that takes time to get that power from the court. You know, the probate court is a process. And depending upon, you know, what county you're in, some are busier than others, and it can take a long time to get these petitions through the probate court. And I think a lot of people think that wills are like trusts, and we'll talk about trusts probably in later shows, Um, but a trust is actually something that does avoid probate because the trust has power in the document. and they're, but they're not synonymous. They're, you know, two completely different types of documents and it has to, there's no way around going through the court with a will. And to put out a little teaser for that episode that we will have on trust, um, you know, even though you might have a trust, your will still might come into play if you don't actually put assets into that trust. So that's just a little teaser to put for that future episode. And I think we're going to get ready to go to a break. Thank you so much for joining. When you go out for dinner, you really want to head to the spot you know. And your local gem in the city of Presidents is the Fowler House Cafe. Family owned and operated, the Fowler House Cafe is a Quincy landmark serving American cuisine and specialty items every day. Stop by the Fowler House Cafe and enjoy their famous buffalo fingers, game day sandwiches, pastas, steaks, and more. Better yet, try their South Shore bar style pizza now. These crowd pleasers are all homemade and will keep you and your family happy. Trying to catch the game with a few friends on Saturday? The 
Powerhouse Cafe offers 18 different draft beers, including seasonal options, micro brews, and handcrafted cocktails ready for game day. To top it off, the Fowler House Cafe has 4K ultra high def TVs everywhere, so you'll never miss a play again. The Fowler House Cafe, located at 1049 Hancock Street, right in the heart of Quincy Center. Call 617-773-9000 or go to thefowlerhousecafe.com to place your order today. The Fowler House Cafe, Quincy's best. Are you mourning the loss of a loved one due to substance use? SADOD.org. Support after a death by overdose is hosting its annual Finding Connections in Grief conference Friday, October 20th through Sunday, October 22nd at the Sheraton Framingham Hotel and Conference Center. Join people who are bereaved as they come together to find courage, hope, healing, and community. The Finding Connections in Grief Conference, Friday, October 20th through Sunday, October 22nd at the Sheraton Framingham Hotel and Conference Center. Reserve your spot right now. SADOD.org. That's SADOD.org. Welcome back to Legacy Legal Live here on 1510 WMEX and streaming online at WMEXBoston.com. Back to it with Kendra and Elizabeth. Ladies, what a wild ride this has been so far tonight. I really appreciate all the information. I've learned a lot, and I know we got a lot more to cover still. So where do we pick it up from there? Uh, I'm going to pick it up with another myth that you have to have substantial assets in order to need a will. Oh, yeah. Everyone knows that. Come on. <laughs> I And it you don't need to have anything that even comes to the realm of substantial assets. You could just own one bank account. And if you want that bank account to go to a specific person, you need a will. You could just have a car. You could just have, you know, bare bones living and you still likely need a will. What about like a a pet, a fuzzy, furry, feathery, scaly friend? Is that something that would go under this territory as well? It absolutely would. Because if you have a pet and you pass away... You want to make sure that your pet is taken care of. And pets under the law are considered tangible personal assets like a couch or a car or something like that. So you can say in your will who you want to receive and care for your pet. And you get to make sure that they're going to be properly cared for by a loving person that's going to give belly rubs and walks and extra treats. Very good. I approve of this statement. (laughs) (laughs) And you may feel that you have assets that are either, you know, whether it's a retirement with your work, 401k, or bank account, as Liz mentioned, that you can put a beneficiary on. But there are also many times that we have seen the beneficiary information was lost by the financial institution. And so when they lose it and don't have a record, is really what they say, we don't have any record that there was a beneficiary on this account, it falls right back either by the terms of the will or if no will, it goes by the state law and has to go through the probate process. But it's not, you know, not every (laughs) probate process is as lengthy and complex as we've talked about a lot here, I think, We've talked a lot about houses and that lengthy, complex process that probate is. But there are times where there can be a shorter process. It can be quicker and has less hoops to jump through within the probate court. 
And I'm glad you brought up um, beneficiary designations again. And, you know, since we had talked before the break about um, updating your will after major life events, you want to look at those beneficiary designations too. Um, A lot of people create, you know, retirement accounts at work or you get a life insurance policy and you fill out the beneficiary form at that time and you don't ever update it again. And a whole host of things can happen in between. Um, I can't count how many times I have had somebody come to me. It says, you know, I have, you know, my ex-spouse passed away and I'm still the beneficiary on their retirement account or their life insurance or whatever. And now their, you know, current spouse is angry that they're not getting the money. Well, you know, the dead guy should have updated his beneficiary designations. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, if during major life events, if somebody passes away, if you get divorced, um, if you have kids, you want to make sure that you update those beneficiary designations to include the people who are important to you. Because if you don't, they're not going to get the money. It's the people who you originally listed out who are going to get the money. Right. And how many times have we seen that in Hollywood movies where it's the ex-wife or the ex-girlfriend or vice versa, one way or the other, and all of a sudden, wait, 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 what do you mean the name is still on there? Mm-hmm. You didn't remember to change it, did you? Happens all the time. I thought that was just in Hollywood. Nope. That's Uh-oh. real life. That's a, that's... <laughs> Good luck, everybody. <laughs> all right. Let's see. I think one of the biggest things to also talk about with wills is some of the emotional aspect of wills. And as, you know, Liz touched upon before is I think a lot of people don't actually make the plan because it is emotional. There are so many thoughts that go into creating a will. Are you leaving it equally to everybody or are you doing different percentages for certain people if you have three children but one you haven't seen in 20 years are you still providing for that child or are you choosing to not provide for that child so there are a lot of emotions that run high who do you put in charge I have many clients that will say, I'll just go with the oldest. And, you know, we, we kind of have a conversation of, is that oldest really the best person to be in that position? Because it's not just about choosing and going in order of oldest or or going in order of youngest, oldest, whatever it may be that they're choosing, but really t- thinking about these emotional decisions that have to be made to ensure that their wishes are properly followed. My family is lucky I'm the oldest. <laughs> You're right. They are very lucky that you are the people. I'm well qualified. (laughs) And I think this goes into a little bit of that, having that open, you know, communication with your family. Um, As much as it can be difficult to talk about money and passing away and what your wishes are, a lot of times we have noticed that when you have those family conversations, it reduces the emotions and the contentious arguments and conversations that could occur when a loved one does pass away. And, um, you know, I want to make sure that it's clear, like, if you do want to leave somebody out of your will who would be a natural heir, a spouse, a child, um, a uh, an- another loved one, um, you need to be super clear in your will that you're doing that. Um, 
And if it's a spouse or a child, there is a potential that if it's not done correctly, they can contest your will. Um, so it's important to, you know, go to an estate planning attorney and make sure that if you're planning to leave somebody out, that it's done by the book. Otherwise, it's a golden opportunity to end up back in the probate court and end up with a fight. I mean, when you say contest the will is, what do I care? I'm dead at that point. What, <laughs> you know, what can you kind of flush that out a little bit for our clients? Because I've had plenty of them say that to me of, I won't be around to deal with it. And really, they, they need to understand the recourse of that. <laughs> can I just say, that might be one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> oh, I, we literally hear that all the time from people. I'm going to be dead. What do I care? Which is fair, except when you're literally teeing up a huge battle. <laughs> literally. You're doing this for everybody else. Please right. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what that battle could potentially look like is um, – the people who you have left your assets to have the will. They go to the probate court. They petition the probate court. Um, if there was somebody left out, they still have to reach out to that person. Uh, and they're required by law to notice that person that you have passed away. And they're likely going to find out that they've been left out of the will. And when they find out that they've been left out of the will, they have an opportunity to object to that will ever being written and thus ensues a fight. And if there are lawyers involved, they make more money than everybody else. <laughs> so wait, I, that, I've never heard something like that before. And maybe this is commonplace and I, I'm just the uninformed one here, but someone can literally say, what do you mean I'm not in the will? And not just, not anybody. It can only be a spouse or a child. But if you are married to the to the deceased or a child of the deceased and you are left out of the will and it's not written correctly, you can walk into the probate court in the time allotted and say, I have been left out. I want my piece of the pie, too. And you could potentially get it. That's wild. That's wild. This is why you need your things written properly. I don't speak legalese. That's why we need to get you ladies involved and get this whole process squared away because I, I am alive. We can't deal with this. How do I deal with this? I don't even know. So dealing with that and working with that is creating that will and, and kind of going into the talking about the will contests and how people can step in is a great segue into some common mistakes that you should avoid in your will. Um, you know, common errors that we see people people make in their wills especially if they're trying to do it on their own um, one of the biggest one is not updating as we discussed earlier not updating and making changes and so it's really not following your wishes um, and another one is leaving out important assets or beneficiaries so both of these have grave consequences if your wishes aren't actually laid out and aren't up to date then it's the state that's directing what occurs with your plan. And I've seen some older wills that say, you know, I give very specific things to people. So like I give my 1999 Dodge whatever to my daughter. Well, when you die, you may not have that 1999 Dodge. You might now have a 2010 Chrysler or you know, whatever it is. If you specifically said the 1999 Dodge and didn't say, 
or whatever car I own at my death, your daughter isn't getting your car because it doesn't exist anymore. And um, this can sometimes be a problem with very specific distributions written into your will because you might not have those assets anymore. Um, you know, you might say, I want my coin collection to go to whoever, XYZ person. And if you, you know, sold your coin collection, that person's not going to get the coin collection. They're also not going to get whatever amount of money you sold the coin collection for. They're just out of luck. Um, and you can, you know, insert whatever type of tangible um, personal asset you want to in there, art, furniture, jewelry. If it's specifically written into your will and it doesn't exist anymore at the time of your death, that person's not getting it. Um, and that can sometimes cause serious contention. Uh, we actually suggest in our wills to put a separate memorandum that the um, personal representative, so the person in charge of your estate, has to follow as far as um, the distribution of personal tangible assets. And that is something that you can change much easier than your will. It does not have to have two witnesses. It doesn't need to have a notary or anything like that. It can be as simple as, you know, a piece of white lined paper where you're listing out what your tangible physical assets are and who you want them to go to. So that if it changes five years from now, all you have to do is take out a new piece of paper and make sure that it stays, you know, with your will. Quick, quick question, if I can, just because you get my the little hamster in my head is just he's spinning around his wheel right now trying to keep up with this. So let's say somebody has, say, like a wine collection and they've got maybe let's let's just say for conversation, hundreds of bottles of wine. You would never let them just go the collection. You would actually have to list out like in, in that instance where it's a series of smaller items. Would you be able to blanket all that or would you actually have to? One by one. So you could call it the wine collection. And then I would say that any bottle of wine that you own when you pass away is going to that person. If there's no more wine, then there's no more, you know. That would be no a more. terrible situation, first of all. And in case anybody didn't want to update their will before this, now you have to list every bottle of wine you yeah. own. Yeah. I'm going to get Len on the phone immediately. we got to figure this out. <laughs> Thank you for answering that. My random questions, I really appreciate you taking the time for. Can you imagine? Oh my like gosh. every single week? All right, so we've gone through six bottles of red. Now I need to go and update my will. Oh, no. <laughs> and I think that as we're talking about the emotion and really thinking about who should be in these different positions, choosing a personal representative that is going to abide they they are under the law need to abide by your wishes but i feel that we have seen so many times where the tangible personal property is actually what's causing the issues between the families it's not the half a million dollars that's you know in the bank account it is grandma's ring that's only worth $20 but has been in the family for you know 200 years Great grandma's ring, whatever. That wow. is what is causing most of these contentions. If I think of my most highly contested probates that I've done over the years, every single one of them is over 
personal property that has zero value where at the end of like a huge blowout, I've sat my client down and been like, I will buy you a new couch. No, just stop let it, it go. Yes. You did not <laughs> yes. stop it. It's like, listen, like, I know we're all in the throes of drama and passion here, but uh, listen, we'll buy you a new toy correct. later, okay? It, it, <laughs> seriously. But like that's they're so wrapped up in the emotion and the sentimental value, rightly so, of those assets. And you're not thinking about how many lawyers are in a room representing each side fighting over those assets. Those couch cushions better be stuffed with like five million dollars in each cushion. Right. <laughs> They're like if and once you get to court, these pretrial conferences can have, you know, a lawyer for every single party. If you've got multiple heirs, you can have five or six attorneys involved. It's like a twenty five hundred dollar an hour meeting. <laughs> and, and literally it's standing there going, and this is to contest the ownership of one raggedy and doll and two raggedy Andy dolls. Yes. 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 Literally. <laughs> Everybody dressed up in suits for this today. Yes. <laughs> I can't. There have been times where I've literally walked out of court and been like, why am I here? <laughs> this is what I do. I can't believe I got dressed up for this. <laughs> But they are the biggest issue. They, it, it's what, it's where those emotions all come into play. People have those sentimental feelings and value to it, and so that's what really creates this conflict. And so, working with a professional allows you to really talk through of how to handle it in the mo- best manner, how to hold it in a manner that will be the least contentious. And sometimes it comes to even gifting during lifetime. That is something that, you know, if you do have a piece of jewelry that you just never wear, but you know that you want it to go to your, you know, 30-year-old niece or whatever, sometimes gifting during life can take away some of these contentions that might occur later. And even having these open conversations during life can help with the contentious battles later down the road. I know a lot of people want to keep things close to the vest. Um, I know a lot of, you know, a lot of my clients are like, do I have to tell people about my estate plan? No, you don't have to tell them about your estate plan. They'll find out. Don't worry. And and, and this is where, like, the statement, I'm going to be dead. Why do I care comes in? Right. And that's fine that you can do whatever you can do whatever you want um but if you're open and honest and communicative with your family it's going to make things better down the road so that there's no surprises and you're less likely to end up in a battle over things if you are clear from the start with you know everybody who's involved and saying you know I'm splitting everything equally or it's not going to be equal. You know why? Because you didn't take care of me. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Or I mean, whatever your reasons are, or, you know, I paid for, you know, medical school for this child and this other one didn't go to college. So, you know, that's not equal. And I want to try to equal it out on my death. Another common mistake that we see more so for, people with minor children is that they do a will and again people think will assets property and they don't think about naming that guardian for their minor children in their will and that is really 
a, a huge fail because without naming the guardians of who you want to be in charge of your children and take care of your children through the through their growing ages, you are talk about a contention in court. You are opening that door to every grandma, grandpa, auntie, uncle trying to come in and say that they're a better fit to take care of that child. Or what could be even worse is leaving assets to minor children um, and not having some type of a, um, uh, a universal transfer to minors bank account or um, something that, like a trust to hold on to it or something like that. Because if you leave an amount of money or a percentage of your estate to somebody who's under the age of 18, they're not an adult and have no legal way to obtain that money. Um, so then their guardian, parent, legal guardian, whatever, needs to petition the probate court to become what's called a conservator because they are legally incapacitated under the law because they're under age, under age 18. So you're adding another petition and legal process to the petition for your will before anybody can give the money to the minor and then that process needs to be monitored by the court every single year until the minor turns 18 and you've now set up that the minor is going to get this amount of money and they turn 18 is that a good idea for most 18 year olds and these are all things that can be avoided by having a properly drafted will. So, so let me ask this now: What if it's not a monetary amount or value? That what if it's say a, a veteran? There's plenty of veterans out here. Maybe Gramps has been holding on to that World War II rifle or, or whatever it might be. It's a firearm. It could be anything, and he wants to leave. You it had to, to use a firearm. <laughs> you had to open it's, that door. It's the most realistic thing I could think of because it's happened. I actually know people that that's happened to. They were it alive. Can't be a firearm. Firearms open Use up anything way more. else. Okay, okay. Well, maybe it's a box a metal, of ammo. How about a metal. that? Medal of Honor. Okay, well, let's say it's that. Let's say the item is being left a little five-year-old Johnny or, or, or Jimmy or, or Jenny, whoever it is, and that's what's going on. Now, you'd obviously, you can't leave something that a 21-year-old would need certifications for to a minor, certainly a young one at that, too. How would a situation like that unfold? Like, what would you do? Um, typically, with, with tangible personal property, it's fine it's given to the guardian of the of the um the parent the parent the minor or whoever or the minor exactly and you know most situations that they're it's held until they turn 18 or they're of an age where they can properly respect the item and things like that um but a tangible piece of property is fine um Firearms, you need to have special licenses. <laughs> I was just going to go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> meet with, um, if you weren't going to meet with an attorney after this, if you have firearms, you need to. Like, fair. Yeah. That's that fair. That is yeah. a number one, do not do this on your own if you have firearms and are trying to plan to leave your assets to, to your loved ones. Yeah, because the person who receives those firearms needs to have the license to actually hold on to them and transport them and if they don't have the proper licensure then they have to go to the town police department to be held until the person can get the proper licensure or sold or whatever 
Yikes. We had a client that <laughs> came in and was like, oh, I just found this in my, you know, my deceased husband's drawer. And we were like, oh, here's the avenue we need to go down to make sure everything's proper. <laughs> if you could leave the building first. she did not have first. her license. <laughs> you found it and you brought it here. <laughs> I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear the first part. Let's get you the right paperwork. Correct, correct. Exactly. Exactly. That oh is my. a whole nother avenue of estate planning. Firearms and estate planning is its own own beast. Yes. 10-4. Now, aren't you glad I asked, though? Because I literally did not know anything about that. And in all truthful honesty, I feel like now I know something about it. I will say, so most people who have gone through firearms training – know that you need to have very specific licensure to in order to be able to hold them use them etc so i will say that uh, most people who are gun owners illegal gun owners have you know the the at least the knowledge that something else has to be done in order to properly pass these on. A couple ducks in a row and, need to be arranged. Right. And that really comes into communication with the family as well because they might know what has to be done and they may outline everything properly. But if the family doesn't know, whether it's the spouse, children, whoever, if they do not know the steps and what needs to be taken, then that's where there could be um, liability problems, even criminal problems, if they don't properly follow what needs to be done under the law. Yeah, and Massachusetts has very, very strict gun gun laws. Yeah. Um, I mean, they in sure order do. to transport, you need to have things in locked cases, and they can't be loaded, and the ammunition needs to be in a different spot. And these are just things I know from clients who have come in and said, I am a gun owner. This is where I want them to go. I'm like, oh, okay, how's it going to get there? And they're like, oh, they list out all the things that they're going to do. I'm like, good, that person has a license, right? (laughs) (laughs) Important things you never thought you'd need to know, but now you do. Well, and bet you didn't know that you can't transport a firearm between basically Rhode Island and Delaware. There literally are rules as to how long you can stop with a firearm in your car between those states. Really? Yes. You're right. I did not know that. <laughs> Even if you have all My your clients life... educate me sometimes. <laughs> sometimes the hard way is the best way. Well, I and I, I literally had somebody who um, you know, lives here in Massachusetts, has um, you know, guns that they use for hunting, and they were moving to Florida. And they were telling me how they have to you know, plan out their gas stops strategically so that they don't stop for too long in a place where they're not allowed to because in between those states, you have to be specifically licensed in those states. And uh, I imagine the state troopers in those states are not very friendly about that. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> well, ladies, with our, with our last five minutes, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you if uh, one of our listeners out there right now is much like myself, just your, your average whoever, and really have never thought about the estate plan or how to start this process or anything like that, how would they do that? And from when they reach out and contact you, ladies, what happens from there? And what is the expectation that's set? Absolutely. So generally, we usually start, you know, we people contact us either through our website, LegacyLegalPlanning.com, or through the phone, 781-971-5900. And they schedule usually a 15-minute call. 
that's just to allow us to chat and get to know each other a little bit before they feel that they're jumping into a meeting. They can ask some questions that they have at the time about the process. And as you mentioned, we then have a couple of meetings to educate. We believe that that's the number one thing is to educate our clients about estate planning and about the different um, types of planning that they have available to them. And then once they decide what route they want to go, we start designing their plan and drafting and, and have them sign everything in place. And so it is it is a process, but it is a, it is a process that we really focus on making easy for our clients, enjoyable. As Michelle mentioned last week, you know, we are laughing a lot with our clients and, and we have a good time and we try to ensure that they truly understand what their plan is doing. And it's a process for a reason. Like we want to be thorough because if something is forgotten, it's going to end up costing more money in the end. Like if you don't tell us about an asset or um, if you don't make a change to your estate plan properly or something like that, you you know, you might have wanted to avoid probate court, but mm, now you're not. <laughs> right. So... You know, before we completely wrap everything up, I just want to reveal the answer to the question that I threw out there earlier, which was if you're just tuning in or tuned in a bit later, what percentage of American adults have a will? So according to recent data, only about 32% of American adults have a will in place. So we hope that today's discussion has inspired some of our listeners to consider estate planning, consider the importance of having a will and having these conversations with family and with a legal professional. And just some, you know, key points to summarize from our from this last hour that you've been tuning in. Meet with a legal professional that really will allow and ensure to open the door to the conversations that are needed to be sure that your will is crafted and created properly. Be sure to put your will in writing. Don't just verbally tell people what your wishes are. Be sure that it is in writing or the state will have the plan for you. And also just third and final reminder, review and update it accordingly. Ensure that you are looking at it every couple of years and that it still does what you want and the people that are in place are still there. It's pretty good advice. I like that a lot. And, uh, you know, Ladies, once again, what's the uh, the phone number, the website? Just want to make sure that we really drill that in for folks because if they don't know where to find it, they, how are they going to know? We got to tell them. Absolutely. We can be reached at phone number 781-971-5900. That's 781-971-5900. Our website is LegacyLegalPlanning.com. And we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And all three of those, our handle is at Legacy Legal Planning. We'd love for you to follow us. And we, we have lots of fun trying to educate the, our followers. And sometimes we put in some things to just make light of this as well, because it can be difficult to talk about. It sure can. It sure can. Well, ladies, on that happy note, another wonderful show. Thank you so much for being with us here tonight on WMEX Legacy Legal Live every Wednesday at 6. We'll catch you next week. WMEX Quincy Boston, streaming at WMEXBoston.com. And on your smart speaker, just say, play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. 
This is the all-new WMEX.